Hello, you are listening to the KGFC Festival Talks podcast. I am your host, Craig Horsley, and we are coming to you from Kew Gardens Festival of Cinema, running from August 3rd to August 12th at both the UA Midway Theater in Forest Hills, that's located on Queens Boulevard and Continental Avenue, and also at the Queens Museum located in Flushing Meadows Corona Park, which is the home of the 1965 World's Fair and also the iconic Unisphere that still stands to this day. And right now we are speaking with the co-director and screenplay writer of a wonderful film from Canada, The Doctor's Case, James Douglas. Hello, Craig. How are you? Hey, James. Um, I don't want to describe the film because I don't want to give anything away to our listeners, so... Uh, please tell me what the the play the movie is about. Well, it's a Sherlock Holmes mystery that was written by Stephen King back in the 1980s, and the basic premise is a diabolical English lord is murdered in what Inspector Lestrade considers to be the perfect locked room mystery, and Sherlock Holmes and Watson set about attempting to solve this particular locked room mystery. Uh, with a little bit of a twist in that Watson uh, winds up solving the case before Sherlock Holmes. And I don't think that's giving too much away because it's called The Doctor's Case. Right. And, um, I mean, I have to say that it's beautifully filmed. The costumes are amazing. It's your first It's your first film. It is, yes. I have to believe that you must have started in theater. <laughs> yes, I did. In fact, I lived in Queens, New York, for a year uh, back in 1995 while I attended the American Academy of Dramatic Arts uh, before going on to a not spectacular but fairly decent career as a working actor. I then transitioned into uh, directing for theater, and that's primarily what I do for a living, but I've always been obsessed with film, and this particular movie is something that's been haunting me since I was a teenager. So when I got the opportunity to make it, I couldn't say no. I mean, it was just wonderfully theatrical, but beautifully filmed. Um, the costumes are, are terrific, and the actors, are they film or theater actors? Um, uh, three of the actors who, who are in the film uh, have uh, a tremendous amount of uh, film experience. Denise Crosby, of course, from Star Trek The Next Generation and Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Uh, William B. Davis uh, from The X-Files, and uh, my friend Michael Coleman, who played Happy on ABC's Once Upon a Time. Everybody else, though, are theater actors that I've known for a, a couple of decades now in Canada, all of whom have, had always had an interest in film, some of whom had had a little bit of experience, but uh, they had a theatricality to them that I knew would be really appropriate for this particular kind of film, so I wanted to make sure I worked with them. So you wrote the screenplay based on a Stephen King short story. I did, yes. Um, how long did it take you to write the screenplay? Um, well, to be perfectly honest, it took me a lot quicker than I thought it was going to. When I originally applied for the Dollar Baby's license, uh, and for the listeners who may not know, uh, since 1977, Stephen King has administered a program through his foundation called Dollar Babies, which will allow emerging filmmakers to use some of his non unlicensed short stories as the basis for a film to make. Uh, it's non-commercial license though, so we can raise money to make the film as we have. We can show it at festivals like Kew Gardens. Uh, we just at the current time can't sell the film to anybody, but it was still just an amazing experience. Um, and so I really wanted to make sure that um, once we got the, the license to do it, uh, that we would be able to make a film that we would be very proud of and that hopefully Stephen King would be proud of. However, when, when I applied for it, they, they said to allow four to eight weeks for a response. So I assumed that I had a lot more time than I did. 
Um, after my initial email, I got a response and a contract uh, three days later. Wow. So I wound up, uh, and you only have a year to make the film once, once you've signed the contract. So everything had to kick into high gear. And in about three and a half weeks, I managed to adapt the story uh, into a script. That being said, I have been thinking about this for a number of years now, so it's already was already in the bag. So you have a year to finish the film. Yes. So uh, you basically are on a tight schedule, writing, filming it, and then post production. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so Stephen King. I mean, he must have been very impressed with, with your application to, to respond that quickly. I hope so. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I don't think he read my application. I think it was some people who work for him, um, and a pr- particularly fantastic woman named Margaret Morehouse who works for the Stephen King Foundation. Um, so, yeah, I'm not really sure if, if, he's even, if it's even on his radar yet. As per my contract, I sent him a copy of the film back in January, but it is only August now, and he's a pretty busy guy. So, uh, <laughs> so you haven't had any feedback yet? From I that. haven't, no. Although I have actually had an opportunity to show the film for a few people who know Stephen King, and they've responded to it very favorably. So I'm hoping sometime down the, in the next few months I might, uh, I might be able to crack that particular nut. Uh, have you uh, seen this on the big screen before? I have um, in a couple of test screenings that we did of an early cut of the film, and then we held our world premiere at the Julian Dubuque International Festival in Iowa. So I was able to go and, and see the film on the big screen there. But I'm very much looking forward to this particular screening, screening uh, given the, the historic nature of the, of the theater that we'll be in. And, and again, this return to Queens to me is, is really something very special. So the first time you saw it on a big screen, what was your reaction? I couldn't, I honestly couldn't believe it. I mean, I had been working on the film and helping with the editing for months, but there is something very different about looking something at something on your computer screen and then seeing it in full glory uh, up, up there on the big screen. And given the, the nature of our soundtrack and, and the amazing people that we had working on it, the whole experience of seeing and hearing this thing for the first time was pretty spectacular. And the Midway is a beautiful theater and you're going to have an amazing time watching with an audience. Absolutely. I look forward to that. So uh, you were directing theater before you did this film. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between directing theater and directing movies? (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, I guess, and and this is probably a given, but I'll say it anyway, the real real difference is it's the same craft. When When you're directing actors, it doesn't really matter whether it's film or theater, it's the moments and the, and the naturalness of, of the kind of performance that you're trying to, to pull out of them. But as many the- theater and film directors will probably tell you, the real difference is when you're directing actors on stage, you're trying to give them cues to perform for people in all uh, angles or at least all corners of a, of a large room. So the person who's sitting in the 16th row has to have a similar, if not the same, experience as the person sitting in the front row. And so therefore the way that the physicality of the actors is quite different. Whereas when you're bringing it into film, everybody who's watching is having the same or similar intimate experience. So it becomes about pulling back on the performance and, and doing as much as you can with your eyes and very, very small movements as opposed to the broader strokes that you would need to do to catch those people who are at the back of the house. And some of the, most of those uh, actors were from theater. Yes. So uh, the fact that they're doing film, were there, do you think there were fewer takes needed than a regular movie actor? I would think so, actually, and because we were on a very tight schedule, we had 12 shooting days at uh, Craig Derrick and in Victoria, and one other one in Victoria, uh, rather in Barkerville Historic Town and Park. 
Um, but yeah, no, we, we did everything in maybe four takes. And that, I mean, on the one hand, it's spectacular working with theater actors because they're trained to have their lines down and to get the beats and everything else. Um, where we needed to then move was to try and pull out a little bit of the theatricality of their performances and, and make, it, make it a bit smaller. We're fortunate in, especially with a lot of the flashbacks that we do in the film to the Hull family, the family of the murder victim, it was intentionally more theatrical, so we could play a little bit more that way. Uh, but when it came down to the, the actual events of the murder investigation, and specifically with our three investigators, Sherlock Watson and Lestrade, we really wanted to make sure that we pulled back those theatrical performances and, and made it something that was very real to a film audience. So. Uh I mean, the film is beautiful. It's it's just beautifully done. The costume is incredible. Um, could you, would Stephen King allow you now to actually make this into a theatrical production, do you think? That is a very good question. I hadn't ever thought of that. And, you know, I think I will pursue it because it is an interesting enough take. It's an interesting pastiche on the whole Sherlock Holmes idea. It is very theatrical in its nature. I think it would actually make a really great stage play. Well, I mean... I- <laughs> I think it would be a great stage play in, in, in this day of theater where there's this interactive with the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it could be an immersive uh, experience where the audience could actually follow the actors around, possibly. Wow. You um, just created a new life for my film. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and, well, uh, I'll help to whatever I can. To You'll help be credited. Our, our, uh, <laughs> um, what uh, I definitely want all the, all the listeners to know when they do see this film, that they should not leave before the credits are over. That's correct. Um, probably one of the reasons was because you probably wanted to credit all those fundraisers. <laughs> yes. Because you, you basically needed a lot of people to help fund this. We did. It, our budget was 70000 U.S., and none of us have any of that kind of money. So we did put out uh, a very serious plea in a Kickstarter campaign for the initial production funds, uh, which was successful, and then we had another uh, post-production Indiegogo campaign, which sort of brought us up over the edge. I mean, a lot of us are still straining under the weight of our credit card debt, but uh, no. It was, it's a tremendous thing to be able to thank all of those people, so many of whom didn't even know us and just gave us a little bit of money because they, they believed in the project, and that was fantastic. But, of course, there's also a nice little post-credit thing. Yeah. Well, you, you have to see the, uh, the, make sure everybody sees the entire film because there may be uh, a sequel. There's a little teaser there. <laughs> we have set it up with that in mind. Um, as much as that was for fun, I would certainly uh, consider uh, doing the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes as a result. Well, if, uh, I'm hoping Mr. King is uh, listening to, to this so that it'll give him some impetus to write another Watson and Sherlock Holmes short story. That would be fantastic. And if you are listening and you want a co-writer, I would be more than happy, Mr. King. And, uh, you know, and if you give uh, permission to make this into a theatrical yes. <laughs> release, please do. Um, so when you were making the film, it's your first film, uh, you wrote it, then you, you directed it. Tell us about the post-production. Um, well, because uh, there was a couple of very um, specific challenges that we faced in post-production, and one of them um, seems very simple, but for, for those of us working on a micro-budget, uh, you will know that it, it can be quite difficult. And that is, for example, that rain is a very important part yes. of the film. Um, the fact that it's raining 
play, plays a key role in the, the development of the, the solving of the murder mystery. And we were shooting in Victoria, British Columbia in April, and there is no rain in Victoria in April. There is nothing but sun and flowers, and it's beautiful, and everybody should go visit it. Um, but having to then figure out how, with the limited budget that we had, that we could create... Um, very realistic looking rain digitally. Now some of it we did uh, we did create um, a rain machine actually specifically for the carriage scenes so that the the water that you see is very real but but some of the in some of the cases that we did have to digitally recreate it and so that was a real challenge. Um, we filmed as much as we possibly could in those 12 days but that also meant that we didn't have a lot of extra uh, stuff to work with when we were cutting the film together. So the editing I in particular, I'm so very pleased with the editors that we had and their ability to take basically almost everything that we shot and figure out a, a way to include it and make the story make a lot of sense. So um, that was very definitely a big part of it. And then also the coloring, which is something that I had never really even considered before, but became very important as we tried to make sure that all of the scenes, because it is so beautiful and the castle that we used is so gorgeous and the rich wood textures and the, and the ornate rugs, we wanted to make sure that everything matched yeah, from scene to scene, just so that we could that we could do justice to this amazing national historic site that we've been given the opportunity to showcase. Now, uh, the fact that it was a historical site and it was filmed in Canada, um, any idea how much this would have cost if it was in the United States? Well, even if it was in Canada, think about this. Craig Derrick Castle is an amazing treasure in Victoria, and huge films have, have shot there. Um, Little Women with Winona Ryder that was out about 20 years ago filmed there. So they rent out for a large chunk of change, like probably four to $5,000 a day if you have to shut down the castle. So given that we were there for 12 days, the location fees alone, had they not been willing to, to give us a, a bit of a break, would have been close to sixty or $70,000. Right. Um, Craig Derrick, however, and it turned out that uh, the woman who was the visitor services manager there um, at the time that we shot was an old theater friend of mine from Victoria back in the day. Um, and they knew about the non-commercial nature of the project, so they, they wanted to support us in whatever way they could. So they agreed um, to let us shoot from 5.30 p.m. once the castle closed till 3 a.m. every morning, which right. we pushed till about 5 a.m. every morning. But So as a result of that, all they did was charge us for the staff time for people who had to be there to make sure that we didn't wreck the place. Um, so right away, even just from that, we were saving 95% of our location budget. Had that similar castle been here, say, in New York City, you probably could have... You, you, you couldn't yeah, do it. You couldn't do you it. You couldn't do no. it. Um, so first film, you have more films inside of you, Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> this has been a very long time coming for me, and to be perfectly honest, a lot of it was just fear-based. Um, I didn't know if I could do what I wanted to be able to do, and having this perfect project drop itself in my lap has opened the seal for me, and I cannot wait. We're actually, my, my team, a couple of the guys who were both actors and producers of The Doctor's Case, and I have been writing a vampire western uh, that we're planning to shoot uh, this February in Barkerville, uh, which is the restored gold rush town uh, that I work for during my day job. So we'll get an opportunity to basically just roll out of our homes, go and shoot in this amazing restored 19th century gold rush town, and create this nice little horror film that I'm looking forward to. You're not giving up theater, though, are you? Oh, gosh, no. Okay. No, no, it's our Good. bread and butter, for sure. <laughs> 
Well, I definitely recommend this film. It was really just beautifully done. I, I was shocked at how, how well, you know, even from the first scene, oh. even from the, the opening credits, were, was very inventive. There was animation. Um, really, really well done. So congratulations on that. Thank you, Craig. Um, and I am waiting for my credit when you do take this to become become a theatrical You've got full it. immersive <laughs> experience for the audience and for you. Thank you. Um, thanks so much. Um, before we leave, I'd like to uh, thank our wonderful sponsors, Blog Talk Radio, for providing an excellent platform for our podcast. I'd also like to thank Atee's Organic Coffee and Tea Cafe. They're located in Kew Gardens on Metropolitan Avenue, and they have a wonderful selection of baked goods and, and beverages. And they are our, our home base for these podcasts and our uh, lounge for the, for the entire festival. Uh, as a reminder, anyone who has a ticket from the festival or is a badge holder, they receive a 10% discount on coffee and baked goods through August 12th, which is the end of our, unfortunately, it's the end of our festival, but I'm sure we'll be back next year. And um, for more information on how you may purchase tickets for the rest of our festival and to see what we've done in the pa- in, over this past 10 days and uh, some of our special events, please visit our website, www.qgardensfestivalofcinema.org. And this is Craig Horsley uh, signing off. Thank you so much.